Hey, 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 everybody. Lee Jackson, America's Finest Watchman, back with you again. Uh, I've been getting, hi there. <laughs> I've been getting some feedback from people, uh, not only on the podcast, but on me. <laughs> it hasn't been pleasant. <laughs> Somebody said it was garbage, and I said, Oh my God, do they know who they're talking about? Do they know what I've done? Do they have any clue? These young whippersnappers that don't know who I am. Oh my God, you could go on, on YouTube and see clips of me. My God, I've done so many hours on TV, different networks, and I wrote down some funny things that happened to me when I did live TV. I mean, things collapsed while I was working all kinds of malfunctions and stuff. And you just, it's all live. You can't say, oh, cut, let's take it again. No, you have to continue on. I've had things fall off watches. I've had things fall from the ceiling. Um, light bulbs, these giant light bulbs they used exploded. All kinds of stuff. People running around going completely bananas. Some of the people you deal with in this business are really cuckoo. And I wrote down notes about the past and some of the things that I had to deal with. And I'm telling you, I'm chuckling because when I tell you some of these stories, you just won't believe it. They're really funny. They're really crazy too. And this is what I had to put up with. So I do want to talk about some of that because everybody's telling me, oh, you know, you're supposed to be funny and outrageous and you're not. <laughs> yeah, I can be, believe me, we can go cuckoo all together, but I want to keep it clean. I also want to keep my eye on the ball. This is about watches. No matter what I do, I got to keep my eye on the ball. I always did. Even when I would go on crazy rants and uh, get sidetracked, I would always come back to where I needed to be because I was completely crazy. I was the guy that was on TV that had the crazy shirts, the bolo tie, the little glasses, and sometimes I'd wear wild hats or all kinds. I came out in pajamas. I did all kinds of outrageous, wild stuff, and I had a lot of fun doing it. And I'd say, what? What are you all looking at? What's the big deal? You know, and I'd look like a complete clown. <laughs> and I was a complete clown. I had a lot of fun doing it, though. I really did, and I still can believe me. I still got it in me. It's just that character has been put to sleep for a while. I mean, the last times I've done TV, I wore a coat and a no uh, open shirt or a tie, and I looked presentable. And, you know, I still acted a little wild, but nothing like the old days. I mean, I was, I, I would start off a show and say, okay, here's the question of the day. And I'd come up with this outrageous question, like, where's the wildest place you ever made love? And then people would call in. And they would tell me all, and I don't know if they were true, but some of them were pretty crazy. And I would listen to that for a few minutes. And then I'd say, okay, let's get the show going. And boom, we'd start showing watches and selling them. And we did a lot. So it was a lot of fun. I mean, I really did have a lot of fun doing all that stuff. And my shows were very successful. People loved buying from me because I really do care, believe it or not, because I'm a collector like you guys are and watch fancier and lover. So no matter what I did, it all came down to the love of watches. And to this day, I'm still a watch collector. I still love watches. It doesn't matter. So I'm not, you know, I'm not on TV as much as I was. A big deal. But prices have gone so crazy. I don't know that you guys would want to pay uh, double what I used to sell stuff for. But that's the reality of it is everything's gone way, way up. There's all kinds of brands. Like look at Omega, for example. 
they have gone through the roof. Omega was just a moderate, fairly reasonably priced, decent watch. I could buy Omegas all day long for two to 500 bucks. Today, they're all in the thousands. They're like Rolex. They've gone completely crazy. And they're old stuff. There's a lot of it out there. It's very good. I used to tell people, if you want to start watch collecting, the best watch to start with is Omega. It's not expensive. They're built like a tank. They run really well. They look nice. I always said that to people. That was the watch to get started with. But as you collect watches, you evolve. You change. You can't wear an Omega anymore. You got to wear a better watch. Or you can't wear just stainless steel. You got to wear gold. Or you got to wear platinum. Or you got to wear something complicated. You know, not an inexpensive watch. I don't know why, but it just happens to happen to me. I used to wear regular watches, Seikos. And stuff. I couldn't put one on today. If you gave it to me, I wouldn't wear it. Just you evolve. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to describe it, but I know it's there and I know it's true. So let's get talking. Um, there's different kinds of watch companies. They're the, the ones that the watch starts from within. And by that, I mean like the movement paddock and vacheron and Audemars and iwc that make phenomenal movements and then they work from the inside to the outside to design a watch so their watches design wise are kind of conservative not as wild not as jewelry like as other companies that work the way i look at it from the outside in they design the watch on the outside and then put in a movement a lot of them don't make their own but they buy decent or good movements and there's a lot of companies like that and you've bought them. Cartier is kind of in kind of a different breed all by itself, but they start as a design watch and they became a great watch on their own. Another good company about that is Corum. Corum makes some incredible stuff, but they started late. They were not a movement maker. They do now. They make their own movements. But when they started off and for the 20, 30 years, they bought movements from Ada, from everybody, put them in. But they made really cool design watches like the Peacock Feather one. Do you ever see that? or the Rolls-Royce grill, very incredible stuff, but kind of gaudy for me, not the kind of stuff all of it, are. but I've owned them. I like Corum. They make a watch called the bubble watch. I think is really cool. And if you want to look it up, just go up there and put Corum bubble watch and you'll see what I'm talking about with a gigantic crystal. That's shaped like a dome, very thick, very cool watches and they're expensive. And when you get right down to it and you look at the materials they use, they're way overpriced for what they really are. But they're great watches, cool watches. Okay, so one of the companies I was going to talk about is eBell. Uh, I like eBell. I like their designs. I've worn many, many eBells over the years, sold many, many eBells. They're really cool. They started in 1911, and their name is an abbreviation of the, of the founder's name, which is Eugene Bloom et Levy. And if you take the initials E-B-E-L, it's eBell. And they were making a lot of watches for other people putting other people's names on watches, other companies like they call them private label. They did. That's how they started. And then they started putting their own name on stuff. And their designs were really cool. Like the, one of the most famous of the eBell watches is called the wave watch. And it's a metal bracelet watch. It's, it's an integrated bracelet. You can't, I don't see it worn without the bracelet, you know, on the strap. And it's got this wave bracelet. That's a flat link with kind of an S in gold. It's really cool. Beautiful design. It was a very, very popular watch. Today it's not because it's not as big as they want. So I don't understand why eBell doesn't go back and take their old watch designs and come up with bigger watches because it would, they fly. I'm telling you, the, the Wave was a very cool watch. I would make that watch bigger, you know, larger size, and I would make it thin and thick. 
and I'll bet you it would go like hotcakes. Uh, they had watches like the Discovery, which I still think you can get. Uh, very cool, very nice watches. I mean, I love the designs, and they were very hip. In the 80s, they were happening, quite happening into the 90s, Ebel. I mean, they make one called the Beluga that's absolutely beautiful. Design-wise, they beat a lot of people to the punch. Their designs were really cool. Now, they kind of fell behind the eight ball lately because I don't see their designs being that topical or that fresh like they used to be. But still, I like Ebel's. I used to like Concords a lot, and Concord was the same kind of thing. It was a watch that was designed from the outside in. It was the design of the watch that sold it, not what was in it. And with the better brands, it's the other way around. You're buying a movement and a watch around it, and the movement is, like, incredible. And that's the difference between the kind of watches like Bertolucci's. I mean, I can name a ton of them. Tiffany, they're all design-oriented watches. So let's keep going. Another company is Eberhard. Eberhard was a chronograph company. They're still around. Their stuff is really beautiful. And their chronographs were very good quality. Uh, not as popular of a brand, but if you see them, very collectible, very nice brand. And they made a lot of good stuff that people love. Next one is Eterna. That's an interesting company. Eterna is very unsung. They make very good movements. They're a decent watch. Um... They're not on the upper echelon. They're kind of around eh, Omega, below that probably. But their movements are very good. And you've heard me talk a million times about ETA movements, ETA movements, which are very, very good movements that you could buy as a watch company and put into your watch. I mean, even Invicta uses some ETA movements. ETA was made by Eterna. If you look at the symbol for ETA, it's similar to the symbol for Eterna. And ETA is an abbreviation of Eterna, E-T-A. And Eterna made some very nice watches. They never really caught on in the U.S. They're bigger in Europe than they are here. And there's a bunch of brands like that. Doxa, Junghans. They're just not big here, but they're good watches. But they're much bigger in Europe. So some of these companies make fantastic watches. And some of them make okay watches. So the next one I want to talk about is GP, Gerard Pergo. And I got a lot to say about them because they are a very interesting company. They started in 1791. They've gone up and down. They have some of the biggest innovations ever in watchmaking. Um, and their prices today, extremely expensive. Handmade movements, expensive, expensive, expensive. I mean, they are just almost ridiculous, their prices. But they make some very cool pieces. They are a conglomeration of a fantastic movement, one of the best. And their designs are incredible. So that's a really good marriage, GP. And you can go back, and they made a lot of watches. You can buy them pretty reasonable. They're one of these companies that over the years went from being either a mass market company or a high-end that went mass market and then went high-end again. So there's it's a very interesting uh, situation with GP. You can buy GP watches from the 40s, 50s, even into the 60s that are not expensive. They're real Gerard Pergo watches. And yet you look at today watches, like for example, a Seahawk. You look at it today, 4,000, 8,000, 12,000. You look at old ones, 400, 800 bucks. I mean, it's amazing. And there's a couple of companies like that. And if you're a collector, it's a very good opportunity for you to get one of the best names in watches really cheap. I mean, really cheap, very good. 
So you can get GP stuff pretty cheap. Now remember, when you buy GP, the older ones that are inexpensive, they're not going to have a handmade Gerard Perigot movement in them. They're going to have a shield movement, which is a like an ETA movement of its day. So movement-wise, the older GPs are not that great. But still, you got it's like wearing a paddock. GP is not far off from Paddock Philippe or Vacheron or Audemars. They're right there with them. So it's a very, very good opportunity for you to be able to get a high-end watch for not a lot of money. And GP makes some incredible watches. They have a lot of firsts in their history. They're credited with inventing the quartz watch in the 60s. And they were one of the first to put it out. So they were big in quartz. When you get into the 70s, GP was in their element. They were putting on a lot of quartz watches. They were very good quality watches. Um, and then when it came into the 80s, they started going back to mechanical and automatic. And then when you hit the 90s, they decided that they were going to be a very high-end watch company. And that's exactly what they did. If you look at their catalog, their stuff goes for, I can't tell you, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Really expensive. And yes, I've owned GPs over the years. They're very nice. Even their quartz watches are extremely good quality. I mean, they're, you look at the quality of their the case and the dial and the hands. I mean, it sounds so stupid, but when you look at it, they're amazing. The quality is like, you've never seen anything like it. Really, really good company. Really, really good quality. Um, they're in Switzerland, of course. They had a lower brand in the 30s and 40s called Mimo, M-I-M-O. Um, they're very undervalued, their watches. Even GP watches are undervalued, the older ones. You can get them at a great price if you're smart and you pick the right ones. Now, if you can find a Gerard Go watch that has its own in-house movement, that's really, really, really good. Um, they made a transition in the 90s. Their watches were from inexpensive to expensive, but not super expensive. And those 90s transition watches are really beautiful, really cool watches. They're more blocky looking. The hands are more squared off. I don't know how else to describe it, but there's some, they started to come up with some really beautiful designs in the 90s. And then when you get to the middle to the late, they all of a sudden start coming out with these really high-end watches. Very complicated, very expensive, and really cool. So that's a good brand to watch. Another one like that is, and we'll get to it, is Ulysses Nardin. That's a great brand. And they're in the same boat. They made less expensive watches. And now they're super high-end watches. So like when I look at those brands and I try to find a deal, there's like nothing unless you want to buy the older ones. The newer ones, forget it. All right, so I think it's time for us to get ready here to take a break if you don't mind. So let's take a quick break. I'll be right back. Yay! Okay, break's over. No more break. No more break, kids. We gotta have we gotta have some fun here. That's all there is to it. So we're talking about watch brands and collecting, and I wanted to talk about uh, one of the places that I did shows, and I'm gonna change all the names on everything because these people, believe it or not, are still around. I know that's true. I was at a place, uh, a shopping network, 
And the woman that ran it was completely insane. I mean, seriously insane. And she did a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, I don't want to go into everything she did, but she ended up going bye-bye because of it all. Um, she would get into the phone bank and she would, if you were not, when you have a phone bank, we're talking about people that answer the phones, take orders, answer questions, run credit cards, all that stuff. And she would sit in the phone bank and drive everyone crazy. And if you didn't do exactly what she wanted, she would just pull you out of your chair by your collar and go, get out. <laughs> and I would watch this stuff and go, oh my gosh. Uh, one time we were doing a live show. Remember, this is all live. There's no coming back from live. You can't take it. You can't cut it or any of that and say, oh, you know what? Let's do it later. It doesn't work that way. It's one shot. So we're doing a live show. This is late at night. And she had a director who was supposed to be pretty well known. He's this big guy. And she ran into the control room, which she did all the time, and started screaming at everybody. And she started yelling at this guy. And I don't know what she, I wasn't in the control room. I was on stage. And remember, I'm live. I have a mic live on me. And she comes out, and I hear her screaming at him. He comes out behind her and screams, F you <laughs> live on TV. You didn't see him, but you heard it. He started screaming at her. I want out. I'm leaving. And all of a sudden she starts screaming back. I push the button on my mic to mute it because who wants to hear all this? And the girls that we had these crazy girls that worked with us and they did uh, like introductions and stuff. And one of them was there near me. And she didn't turn her mic off. So it all went out over the air. And they were going berserk, screaming at each other. This is like 12 midnight. And people started calling in. And there was nothing being shown. I mean, he shut the, I forgot to tell you this part. He shut the picture off. <laughs> so you had a blank screen. And you hear all these people screaming and going on. People started calling into the phone bank going, are you being robbed? What's going on? And they went berserk. She had to give the guy a check right then and there. And he walked over, walked off and left <laughs> on my TV. So I thought that was pretty good. Uh, that was one of my favorite things that I ever saw. I mean, I can go over, tell you stories that you won't believe. It was the wild, wild west doing shows. It wasn't like, um, you know, like uh, QBC or HSN, none of that stuff. This wasn't professional at all. This stuff that, that I saw was pretty much by the seat of your pants. And they didn't know what they were doing, most of these people. I did, because I had been doing it so long, but they didn't ask, so I didn't jump in. What for? You know, if you ask for my help, happy to help. But if you don't, sorry, I'm not going to do it. Okay, so that's one of my cuckoo stories where we went completely crazy. Great, great. And uh, I was absolutely mortified. Uh, I think we continued, if I remember correctly, after a few minutes, but it was like a zoo. <laughs> Those were the days. Okay, so let's keep talking. So the next one I'd like to talk about is uh, Glashute, which is a German watch that was actually made, I think, for yeah, the Luftwaffe in 1941. When they brought these watches back, they had, uh, these are, Watches from a company, Langa and & Son, and Tutima, T-U-T-I-M-A name. And Langa 
if you look, it's spelled A period L-A-N-G-E and S-O-H-N-E. If you look them up, their watches are 200,000, 300, 400, I mean, really expensive. Originally, they came up with the German Luftwaffe, they were um, pilot watches, and then they became really expensive. I mean, now they have these watches. I'm trying to think, they had these giant numbers on them that were on wheels that would turn. Now you see it a lot, but back then nobody had that because it had extra gears, extra wheels. It wasn't just a calendar with a dial with a track that would turn. This was separate wheels and they were very, very expensive, London Sun. They still are. They're, I just don't even bother with them because you just can't buy them reasonable. And my whole thing is I want to collect, but I don't want to spend tons and tons of money. Now there's lots of you out there that do that. And I think it's great if you got the money to put into it. My opinion is they're not going to go down unless you get ripped off buying something. Everything's been going up like crazy. If I tell you what things were when I started, prices of Rolexes and so on versus today, your hair would catch on fire. I mean, we could buy Rolexes so cheap and Omega so cheap compared to today's prices. It's amazing. So jumping in at some point is not a bad idea. So next is Hoyer. Believe it or not, Hoyer, it's not Tag Hoyer. There was a man by by the name of Edward Hoyer. Uh, he started his watches in 1864 and they went bankrupt in the eighties and got bought by a company called TAG. That's why they're called tag Hoyer watches. Hoyers were big for chronographs and they were a big name in sporting time measurements, you know, like Olympics and stuff. And they were big, they were really good. And they went bankrupt in the eighties and got bought out by tag. And then they became tag really took them over and made them into a beautiful watch. And today they're a premier watch. They're not, they're one from without. They're designed from without. They have good movements. Um, uh, you know what? There, There's two kinds of tags. There's the kind that's designed from without <clears throat> that have beautiful designs, <clears throat> but not the greatest movements are okay. And then there's watches that they used to make and still do chronographs that they were famous for that did have good movements because there's only a few chronograph movement makers uh, up until now, well, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Most were like Venus and uh, La Magna and Valjou, and there's a few others. And those were very good movements. Even Paddock and Vacheron used some of those movements instead of making their own. So some of the tags like Breitling's are very good quality, but a lot of their stuff, because I remember I bought some of their court stuff in the 80s and 90s, was very desirable as far as design goes. Now, is a quartz watch going to be as collectible and rare and money-wise high enough to collect like a mechanical watch? And the answer is no. Some brands, yes. I don't think the Tag Heuer quartz stuff is worth anywhere near what their mechanical stuff is worth. Same goes for Breitling and a lot of companies. A lot of the quartz stuff, it may be easier to use and easier to, to keep, you know, just put a battery in every few years, but collectability wise, not as collectible. Now I do wear quartz watches for fun because I don't want to fiddle around and start them up and wind them and set them and all that quartz always running. You just put it, take it out, put it on your wrist, period. So I do have some nice quartz watches that I actually enjoy and they keep extremely good time. And yes, you could buy big name brands with quartz movements. They're, they're around, believe it or not, but from a collectability standpoint, not as desirable as some of these other brands. Okay, next, and this will be, our, I think, our last one. is one of my favorite brands, IWC. What, what a great company. Stands for International Watch Company. 
you can buy some of their earlier 60s stuff pretty reasonably priced. Um, 600 to a thousand bucks, which is very reasonable for a watch company that sells watches, you know, 10,000 up to hundreds of thousands of dollars today. They started as a pilot's watch. Um, they got some very famous watches that NATO, what NATO pilots used back in the sixties. They actually started in 1868. They had very, a very turbulent history. They went near bankrupt a bunch of times, started by an American general, general by F. Jones was his name, and he was American, and he went to Schaffhausen, which is the, the German part of Switzerland, to start IWC. This was pocket watch time, not wristwatch, and he wanted to bring American know-how into um, Switzerland, and IWC is kind of one of those sleeper watch names, you know. it's They have a design that if you see them, they're very utilitarian looking because they were, again, pilot watches. They were functional watches. They weren't made for to be beautiful, but today they have some incredible pieces and their movements were usually handmade at the factory by them from day one. It's like Paddock. You can't find, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. Paddock does have outside uh, movements. They do, or they did. But IWC made a lot of their own stuff. And you can still buy some of their stuff pretty reasonable. But if you look at IWCs, anything that looks modern, modern, very expensive. Very expensive. And I have an IWC Da Vinci, and I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. And it's a Mecca Quartz, it's called, which means it has a very expensive quartz motor in there. I think it's made by Frederick Piquet, which is, again, one of the highest end, highest end movement watchmaking movement companies there is. They've been swallowed up by, um, uh, oh, come to me, Rayville, which is uh, Blanc Pond bottom. So you can't get their movements, but they used to be in Vacheron's, Paddock's, you name it. I mean, I have a Chopard that's got a Piquet movement in it that's insane quality, really, really good. And IWC are more functional and they're utilitarian looking, but they're very smart looking. And you can tell the quality of the watch by looking at it. Now, I know that sounds kind of cuckoo, but you can just see that every minute detail has been touched on and done. And it just gives you such a good feeling to be wearing something like that. I don't know how to describe it. Wearing a Paddock or wearing an IWC, Vacheron, Audemars, the really, really good watches, Gerard Pergo. It just does, to me, it gives me a, a warm and fuzzy feeling inside. It's like I used to tell people, Everybody doesn't see what I'm wearing, but I don't care because I know what I'm wearing. That's all that really matters is that I'm in there. Um, they were bought out by a German uh, tachometer manufacturer in 78 VDO. I see those in Volkswagens when you look at the speedometer and stuff. That was a um, um, one of the things that they used in, in Volkies for the dash instrument manufacturers for cars. And they have their own calibers. Now, their most sought-after model is called the Model 9, that's X, or 11, excuse me, XI Pilot's wristwatch with an anti-magnetic inner case, and they go for big, big money. I mean, I'm, I, I've got a reference guide that says, oh, yeah, their watches are not that expensive. Well, guess what? This reference guide is probably 20 years old, and they've quadrupled, tripled, 10 times from what they were. They've gone really expensive. And when you buy an IWC, it's it's hard. Yeah, this is almost 30 years old, this reference guide. When you buy an IWC, it's really something to behold. 
It's hard to describe. They're not gaudy. They're not fancy looking. They just look really clean looking. And the quality of their movements and everything is so great that when you have a great watch, you can pass it on to generations as long as you don't kill it. You know, beat it up, run over the car, gash it. That's the kind of stuff you can you can give to your children and their children. And they'll as long as they stay in style and they want to wear it. IWC is one of those legendary brands, but they're a sleeper. You don't hear that much about them. And I've had antique international watch company watches, and I've been enthralled with every one I've ever had. And I have right now. It's called a Da Vinci, and it's a really beautiful watch. And we're going to get a website going where I can show you pictures of these things. And you'll be able to do some interaction with me because, you know, you want to come after me, be my guest. Because I think I can handle it. After all these years, I have taken so much heckling and so much fun and so much everything that no big deal for me. All right. So we got to go. This is it. I thank you for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. And we'll see you next time. This is Lee Jackson, America's Finest Watchman. And he's crazy. Signing off. Thanks again, everybody. Have a great one. Talk to you later.